into a priceless perspective. I'm your hostess, Nicole Steele. Many of our listeners know that through a priceless perspective, we strive to address real issues facing teen and tween girls and their families. Sometimes those issues are fun and lighthearted, but other times they're heavy and of a more serious nature. Today we will be discussing a real issue that often leaves the most vulnerable victims to suffer in silence. But thanks to our special guests, survivors of child sexual abuse and the community can find their voice and be empowered to stop this terrible epidemic. Ms. Angela Williams is an author, speaker, youth advocate, and the founder of Voice Today, an organization that's on the front line addressing the issue of child sexual abuse and giving a voice to the voiceless. Welcome to the show, Angela. Nicole, I could not be more thrilled to be with you today. Well, I think I'd like to start by having you share a little of your personal story and what led you to start Voice Today. Oh, my goodness. It's a long story, so I'll try to make it brief. But um, my story is not unusual um, of the 42 million reported survivors in the U.S. today. Uh, My abuse began as a very small child when I was three years old. Um, My biological father left me. My mother uh, remarried to a man that was extremely abusive. So immediately he took full control and power over me through physical violence, verbal, emotional, And then the sexual abuse began, and he uh, groomed me by obviously the fear, but the threat that he would kill my mother if I ever told. So I was silenced at a very young age, and as I grew, the uh, abuse intensified, the perversion intensified, and my silent prison of pain just became more and more reinforced. Many, many times during my childhood, I tried to cry out, but like so many, I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to say and just trembled in fear. So a lot of my cries for help were ignored or dismissed in a way that I was uh, a dramatic child. I was seeking attention. I was a liar. So really a lot of the grooming uh, took place in others around my life uh, in addition to me to make me out to not be believed. So my disclosures were always met with denial. And at age 17, I just could not take it anymore and took uh, 64 sleeping pills and drank a bottle of vodka and tried to kill myself. And my body rejected the poison, and I 
uh, tried other ways that night to kill myself and just came to the end of myself and on my knees and said, I I don't know what to do, God. I I could not go back and face being raped and beaten by my stepfather again. So that was the beginning of the end. And it's been a long journey since that night of trying to take my life. And I praise God for such a time as this that he saved my life. He intervened. And it's been a road of uh, just really trying to heal, trying to find myself. I think so many survivors get lost in the self-hatred and the feeling damaged and dirty and the shame that it creates. And then the world doesn't really know how to uh, meet this with compassion or nurturing. Your family is in denial. So that's sort of a little bit of my story. How I started Voice Today is really kicking and screaming uh, out of just obedience um, of, of a calling on my life to really help expose this issue, to help bring other voices together, to help survivors regain their power and their voice, to really look at this issue from a preventative standpoint, which I think so few um, are doing right now. And it's really sad that we're failing our children at this juncture. I do agree, and I've I've had a chance to really follow the work that you've been doing, and you're doing a phenomenal job. But I'm I'm amazed at just your strength and your power. I work with young people. I've been working with young people in various capacities for 25 plus years. And when you read the statistics when it comes to child sexual abuse, I believe the CDC statistics say that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused by the time they hit their 18th birthday. And so when, you, when I think about the thousands of young people that I've come in contact with, and when you look at those statistics to know that one potentially one in four of each of the girls that I've worked with has suffered. Now, many of them, I know their story, but to know that there are young people in schools, in the community, in the churches who are suffering like you were as a young girl is is heart-wrenching. But to see you with your voice that God has given you and the power and the strength to spread awareness, to help prevent this epidemic, and to bring about healing is very encouraging, so I commend you and your team for the for the great work that you're doing. Um, let me ask this: Did you suffer from bitterness towards your stepfather, and or to those who kind of, as you said, dismissed you and who did not come to your rescue? Well, the backtrack, absolutely, yes, I did suffer from a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger and rage, and I think that's a common. Um, response from survivors, just the anger that no one intervened, the anger and almost feeling like, am I not worthy? Am I not uh, worthy as a person for someone to step up and protect me? So I think that's a very honest um, emotion. And I think that as survivors, we try to dismiss that, that emotion, but it's there and it's real. And I think the more we suppress it, the more it kind of erupts as a volcano. But there was great resentment and great bitterness toward my abuser, toward my mother, toward teachers, toward family members, toward uh, just people that I just felt like should have helped me and didn't. And I think that it's a process, a, a very sometimes long and grueling process to forgive, to step into a place of you know, really that bitterness eats you up inside. It's like uh, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die when, when it really is a cancer in your spirit. 
So I had to really come to a place of realizing that um, they are responsible for their actions. They will be held accountable for their actions, and I will be held accountable for my actions. And I had to kind of release them and release that bitterness because it just was not healthy for me as a person and, and healthy for me to really step into a place of what God had for me, which he does not want this abuse to steal another day of my life, another minute of joy. So it's constant. I won't say that I have it all figured out. I I trip and fall like so many do, but I catch myself and uh, just try to repent and understand that everybody has different um, just experiences in their life, and some have to respond to this with denial. They just don't have the strength to face it, and others have to just not – they're not able to take the responsibility on that they really did play a part in either my abuse or someone else's abuse. It's it's a very heavy burden to bear. So I think that as survivors need more compassion, we need to look at this issue as to why people – um, why it's so hurtful and why it's so hard to address this with courage and with responsibility. Now, I know just knowing you that your faith played a significant role in bringing about your healing. I know you said that on that day when you were 17 and you were trying to take your life that you surrendered and you said, Lord, I can't do this. Can you talk about that journey and and how God has played a part in you being made whole now? Well, as a a child growing up and as a young woman, um, I always worshipped God at a guilty distance. I believed in God, but I believed a lie of the enemy and a very toxic belief that because I was sexually abused that I was in some way damaged or some way dirty or some way not pure enough to really be loved and received by God, which is a lie. And I think in my very beginning, I believed that somehow God was punishing me. So I really had to come to a place of understanding who God is and God is love. And God is sovereign, and I, I had to separate man's will to sin against me versus God's will and understand it was never God's will for me to be sexually abused. And that place of surrender has, is a lifetime journey. It's, it's today at 48 years old saying, yes, God, I lay it down again. Uh, I, I've taken it back and I've made a mess and here it is again. So I, I don't think it's a, a one and all, one for all. I think it's a continual walking as closely to God as you can walk, uh, being in his word, being in prayer, being in his presence, being in praise, being in a place of, of gratitude and thankfulness that, that I didn't lose my life that night. What a tragedy. What a tragedy for my family, for my friends, for this organization. And, and God knew so I am still on my path of my journey of healing. I don't stand up and pretend to tell anybody I've got it all figured out. But I have learned that the closer I walk to God and the, cl- the more I surrender uh, my will and, and my hurts and my pain, and the more I turn around and try to help somebody else, the more I get my healing and the more strength I have and the more I can reside in a place of peace and a place of joy. All right. Now, I know that God has given you an international platform, and you've traveled the world. You've made appearances on television um, stations, including CNN. You've been on headline news. You've been on TBN. And you've been spreading this word and, again, bringing about awareness. 
What do you think is the biggest misconception people have when it comes to child sexual abuse and what they can do to be part of the solution to ending it? The absolute biggest misconception is that children lie about this, that children make this up. Um, I think it's easier to dismiss a child than to really face the accountability of, of the perpetrator. And we have a picture in our heads of who that perpetrator is, and we often want to identify them as the derelict in the park wearing the trench coat that's scruffy and, and, and dirty and unkept. And that's the picture that we have in our minds. And we don't see that that perpetrator could be a 15-year-old babysitter, um, a 32-year-old school teacher, a, a father, a stepfather, an aunt, an uncle, a coach, a music, uh, a Boy Scout leader, a pastor. Those are not the pictures that we want to put on the face of a perpetrator when that indeed is the face. We also tend to want to believe that it is a certain social class or economic class or ethnic group, and we want to say, well, it happens over there. It, it, it's not on my street, and it's not in my church, and it's not in my family, and it's certainly not in my in my community, it's over there. So I think there's an arrogance that our society is residing in right now and not really looking at, yes, it crosses every social, economic, ethnic boundary. Yes, it is here on our street. And how are we going to educate ourselves on how to recognize child sexual abuse, respond with courage to child sexual abuse, become vigilant about protecting our children, and learning a place of prevention so those are the, really what my message is, is it is time. This is the last taboo, the last frontier. It is time that we stand up and we begin to protect our children and we make the tough decisions. We're going to have to change laws. We're going to have to change how our family court system works. We're going to have to change legislature. We're going to have to fund prevention, which is non-existent at this point. And we're going to have to hold people accountable who are sexually abusing our children. You're absolutely right. Now, for people who are maybe in contact with young people that they suspect may be abused, what are some signs and symptoms of a young person who may be suffering in silence? Well, I'm going to preface it where there could be no signs at all. But if you're looking and suspect, there's uh, usually a drastic change in behavior that cannot be explained. You may have a child that begins to wet the bed, um, have chronic, uh, some kind of chronic pain, stomach aches that can't be explained, um, urinary tract infections. They may begin to lie. You may have eating disorders. They may be acting out sexually, inappropriately sexually. They may be isolating. There could be anger. There could be rage. They could be fearful at times, nightmares, bed sweats. There is an entire list, um, and really what you want to look for is that change, drastic change in behavior that can't be explained. Perhaps they're fearful around a certain person, um, but we just don't need to dismiss. I, I hear a lot that children are crying out for help, and the behaviors are there, the symptoms are there, but they may be dismissed because the child's going through puberty, or they may be dismissed because there's some type of family transition going on, a divorce or a death in the family. Those are are the specific times that a perpetrator will prey on a child when they're the most vulnerable. So I think a lot of uh, 
a lot of the signs and symptoms are dismissed uh, for other reasons. And there again, the adult not being able to face or even suspect or ask the question, is this child suffering from child sexual abuse or any kind of abuse for that matter? I do know, and I'm glad that you brought up that misconception that people have about the perpetrator. And oftentimes, even young people, you know, they fear that white van that's driving because they think that only white, you know, Mm -hmm. only abductors are in white vans and different things like that. But to be able to know that perpetrators are women and they are men, perpetrators are young and they are old. Like you said, it, it doesn't discriminate against social status, against financial and economic status for parents, how can they keep their children safe in this world today? Well, I would encourage parents to begin to educate themselves on the issue of child sexual abuse. Uh, We at Voice Today on our website, voicetoday.org, we have a number of programs that they can either take in a group study or an independent study with, with various books, workshops, tools, materials. So I think first becoming aware that your child is at risk and facing that risk responsibly. I think secondly, to monitor any type of interaction between an adult and a child. That can be easily done by driving. Dropping in unexpectedly, you can ask the child how the visit was and and look into their eyes and look at their body language and see how they respond. You begin to talk to your children. We really have to begin to be speaking together as adults, just like you're giving this this topic and this issue great exposure on your radio show. We have to be talking as adults. How are we and why are we failing our children? And we have to be speaking to our children to let them know that not everyone in their life is going to be safe. Predispose them that there might be someone that makes a bad decision that acts out inappropriately and predispose the child to give them permission that they must tell you that that is not negotiable. If they are made to feel uncomfortable in any way, they need to tell you. We uh, teach our children to respect authority, but we don't really teach them about their personal boundaries and about their personal power. So those are really powerful conversations. You can simply use a hula hoop and just explain to your child that they have the right to protect their personal space and where that personal space is, and if they're intimidated or feel uncomfortable, that they must tell you immediately. Um, So then asking those questions, asking children, has anyone ever made you feel uncomfortable? Has anyone ever done anything? You know, you know you can come and tell me. And that continual layering of those conversations, making sure our children understand that um, no one should ever ask them to keep a secret. Um, A real simple tool is a a gift, a present. When you're going to a birthday party and you're wrapping a present, to reinforce the message that your child knows the difference between a secret and a surprise. Surprises reveal, secrets conceal. And then we've got to follow up. If we do suspect, if we get a disclosure, we have to affirm that child. We have to make sure they understand it was not their fault and that you were there to protect them. And we have to call uh, the appropriate uh, law enforcement and intervene immediately. This is a crime. If a child is shot in your living room, you're going to call 911. We need to have the same type of urgency when a child discloses child sexual abuse. And then the education piece, continue to educate your child, continue to educate yourself. Um, We have programs that deal with uh, the grooming process, that deal with uh, single parenting. Those children are much more more vulnerable um, with 
with the signs and symptoms. Um, so we have a number of programs and, and hours and hours and hours of education to help parents understand this issue um, and how to respond responsibly. I think that it's great that you mentioned getting the authorities involved. And I, I think that's so important, whether you're a youth worker, an educator, a church leader, or a parent. Oftentimes, People, when, you know, they suspect or when somebody confides in them that this is happening, they automatically go into investigation mode and they feel like they've got to get all of the answers. And that's not our job. That's what the professional, the, the real investigators and the police are for. Can I speak to that? Yes. We actually, we actually hurt the child, hurt the case, hurt the child's credibility when we investigated ourselves. We really have to understand the urgency of getting law enforcement involved because there's valuable evidence that has to be preserved. So if you step in and you try to to uh, do a forensic interview that you're not trained to do and you try to collect evidence, which you're not trained to do, what you in fact do is inhibit the actual justice and the pro- due process of that child. That's really, really important. And and I think about families that have suffered because perhaps a child has been abused by the hands of another family member. And, oh, my goodness, I don't want to get my, my, my family member involved. But we've got to think about the children and let the chips fall where they may. But really, well, our job here's is another. Here's another misconception. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Here's another misconception. The misconception is that I'm the only victim, that it's just happened to me. And what, in fact, they don't understand is on average, a perpetrator has about, uh, on average, 117 victims. So not only are you um, are you not facing this this crime and holding them accountable, but you're also putting other children in danger. There will be other children in their path. There will be others that will be sexually abused. So that's why it's so important that not only parents step in when it's a child and give that child justice and a voice and stop that perpetrator, but even as an adult, if this has happened to you um, in your past, it is so important that you even address it today. Even if you can't get justice, even if the physical evidence is not there, even if you cannot prosecute, at least you can make a report so that the next child that comes forward, there's some record, there's some credibility to that case. That's very good. Now, you mentioned in talking with our young people and teaching them boundaries, I was reminded of my youngest daughter, who is now four years old. But my husband and I, with both of our children, have always been on one accord when it comes to supporting our kids in their individual boundaries. And for my youngest, she's not a hugger. And now she hugs us. She hugs the family. She's very, very affectionate. But, you know, people will come up and say, hello, oh, she's so cute. Oh, give me a hug. And my daughter will not do it. And I support that. And I'll say she's not a hugger, you know. Um, And she's got to know you. She's got to be very comfortable. But, you know, I think about kids who have those boundaries and whose family members may break those boundaries down. Oh, go sit on Uncle such and such's lap. Oh, he's okay. You know, you go on here, you know, and, and 
we have to teach our young people to listen to their voice within mm-hmm. and to support that and not make them feel weird or shame or tell them to do things that they're not comfortable with. Well, in one of our children's books, it's called Grant Gets His Shield, and uh, Grant faces that exact dilemma where he is forced to um, be kissed and pinched on the cheek by a family member, and he, it makes him feel very uncomfortable. So in that book, we teach children that you can ha- find other ways um, to have to share affection and to greet people, and so he learns how to do a fist pump, and that's what's comfortable for him. So I think not only uh, do we need to allow our children, but we need to give them other options. We need to say she's uh, she's a high fiver. She's not really a hugger. You know, give them other ways to greet people or to show affection that's not that doesn't intrude on their personal boundary. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And um, one other thing that that you mentioned, and and I think that it's very important to let our young listeners know but also parents know because oftentimes young people who are abused can begin to become abusers. And and while the um, perpetrators are not always older, grown people, and so when it comes to the older cousin, the, the older sibling, the neighbor down the street, the best friend in the sleepover, helping our kids understand that, Perpetrators come in all ages. Um, Can you speak to that? I don't know if you know of any statistics or can speak about any people that you've come in contact with that have actually been abused by their peers. Uh, It is a huge problem. Uh, We have an Internet that is uh, just eaten up with pornography and what is happening is youth is are acting out on youth and modeling the behavior that they're seeing in this um, awful pornography that they're watching. We see young folks as young as 10 years old being addicted to pornography. So they are learning a very mis- misinformation, miscommunication about what sex is. Sex is not an act. It's a relationship that's um, a gift that was given in the covenant of marriage. So I think we've got to begin to really look at the problem of pornography and how our children are accessing pornography, huge amounts of pornography, um, the worst type of triple X pornography out there, and they are experimenting and they are acting out. And I think that there, again, there has to become a dialogue in how we have let this happen as adults how that they have accessibility to it very easily and how we're going to begin to put some monitoring and some structure around that. I also think that as a youth, I think they don't want to get the other ones in trouble. They feel like they're going to be in trouble. I feel like if you've been violated, you've been violated by whatever age person, and that has to be addressed. And the person that violated you needs help. So really, we there again, we've got to um, address these issues in community instead of in isolation and keeping them hidden and keeping the wounds hidden and the hurt hidden. And there's no room in that in that darkness and in that isolation to really address the problem and really get help so that you can get on a healthy path of sexuality. So those are some of the things I've seen, the concerns I have. And there again, it goes back to these are children that we as adults have let them have access to pornography, which is polluting their minds. They're getting very toxic sexual messages. And we as adults aren't really addressing this inf- this problem in a responsible way. You're right. 
Now, for a young girl who may be listening to the show today who has been touched inappropriately or who may be suffering in silence right now, what advice would you give to her? I, my heart just breaks because I know the survivors that are out there and that are listening. So to begin to break your silence is one of the most challenging and the most difficult. So I'm not telling you that, that what I'm going to ask you to do is going to be easy because it's going to be extremely difficult. But only healing can begin when you get your voice back. And the only thing that is going to get your voice back is to break your silence over what has happened. So I would just encourage uh, a victim who is listening to find a, a safe person, a trusted person. It may be a grandmother, an aunt, uh, a mother, a father, a pastor, uh, but to find a safe person, a counselor, and tell that person what has happened. Understand that you are going to be safe, that you are going to be protected, that only adults that know can step in, though, to that place of safety, and that that will begin your healing process. And the person who has done this, they need help. They don't need to continue to travel down this path to re-victimize other people. So as hard as it is and as challenging as it is, I just ask that you find somebody and that you tell the story. You Perhaps you could write it down if you can't even get the words out of your mouth. But begin to write it down and begin to get some help, some help with healing, some help for justice, and some help in protecting the next victim in their path. As you were saying that, I, I was reminded of a situation when I was a teenager and one of my very best friends confided in me that she was being touched inappropriately by her mother's friend. And as a young person, I remember the weight of that personal confession. But I also knew that she had to get help. And so if there's a young person who is listening, and perhaps you're not the one that's being touched, but maybe you have a friend that has confided in you, What I did with my best friend is I told her, you've got to tell, and I became a support system for her. And I offered to go with her to her mother or to my mother or to our counselor, and I gave her 24 hours to decide whether or not she was going to do it alone or whether or not she wanted to go with me, and she got the courage to actually tell And so when you talk about the burden of that and the burden on society, we've got to carry it. We've got to help carry that weight, but you don't have to carry it alone. And so I really want to stress that to young people because I do know that oftentimes kids will go to their best friends. They'll vent out of fear of what, what will happen if they tell an adult. And so that's just my personal story. I hope that it will be something that may be beneficial for somebody who wants to support a friend. The person who's having to carry that weight and that burden, they are just as traumatized. It's called secondhand traumatization, kind of like you get secondhand smoke. Um, so it, too, is wounding you. So for, for that person, it really is going to be healthier for you to help that friend be able to break their silence. And sometimes that's just holding their hand as they're telling, just being in their presence or or holding holding them accountable and making sure, walking them to the counselor's office and standing outside the door to ensure just that little extra support that says, I'm here for you, 
you're not here by yourself. Uh, for an adult, a parent perhaps, or a youth worker who may be listening today who has been abused sexually in the past but has carried the weight, the guilt, the shame, the pain of that all the days of their life and have not confided in anybody, what advice would you give to them? It's really the same advice. Um, light can only come into darkness once it's exposed. And so I would just encourage them to find a trusted uh, counselor, uh, a pastor, a family member, a friend, and just begin to release that secret. I think it's so important that you get your power back, you get your voice back, and that you walk in your truth. And it really doesn't matter who uh, in your family or in your circle um, in your extended family believes you, you have to get your truth. And I think so often we're so afraid of the denial. And um, it's just a fact in our society. This is so painful. Uh, 93% of the time a child is sexually abused by someone they know, love, and trust. So that's a close family member, a close family friend, or within the family. So it's just a very difficult um disclosure for many to take. So I would just encourage you that today is the day. You're not listening by accident. The day is the day that you get your voice. Uh, we are here at Voice today. We have resources. We have programs. We have retreats. We have support groups. We have tools to help you walk through your healing so you don't have to do it alone. And I would just say, let today be the day that you release that, that bondage, that secret, that power that the secret's held over you because you're really living your life trying to hold a, a beach ball underwater, and it takes a lot of energy. And it's just a day that you can begin to um, learn some healthier uh, belief systems. I think we all, when we go through abuse, we have some very toxic belief systems about ourselves and about the situation. And I'm here to tell you, you did not have power. You are a child. So you need to begin to have some compassion for that little boy or that little girl that resides inside of you that's been so traumatized. And so today's the day to step into that path of healing and to really accept uh, the pain that you've suffered and begin to give yourself permission to heal. Well, that's a good segue into this awesome event that you have coming up in April. It's your Whiteout event. Can you tell our listeners about that and some of the other great events and, and programs that you have going on in the community? Well, it is my heart that we begin to stand in solidarity, that we are a platform at Voice Today for survivors to stand up and to get their voice, and none of us can go back and get our innocence or our childhoods, but we can have a huge impact in protecting the next generation of children. So whiteout child sexual abuse is an opportunity for us to all stand on April 30th and wear white in solidarity for the innocence of our children, but also to mourn the innocence lost. So whether you're a survivor, you can don white to be proud that you have survived child sexual abuse, or if you love a survivor, nurture a survivor, or just want to get uh, be a part of the movement, the voice movement, then wearing white says that you have compassion for the pain and the trauma of child sexual abuse and that you want to step into a place of responsibility to really help protect the next generation of children. So it's April 30th. We're asking everyone to wear white, to post their pictures on our Facebook page, 
to Twitter them. Um, they can go to our website. They can uh, sign the pledge to Wear White on April 30th. There's downloadable posters and postcards for their independent communities. Um, and we're just saying today's the day. It's time. It's time. The voice movement is off to the races. We are running as fast as we can run, and we just want to provide an opportunity for us to all stand together in solidarity, and it's just a really easy ask, just very easy to do that day. Now, I understand that you wrote a book, a wonderful book called From Sorrows to Sapphires, which tells your personal story. And as you mentioned, you've got a wealth of resources uh, available on your website for people to begin that healing process. How can listeners connect with you, purchase products, or even have you come out and educate them or come out and be a speaker for one of their events? What's the best way for them to connect with you? The best way is to go to our website at voicetoday.org. They can join our social networks, or there is a place that says Contact Us, and they can simply uh, fill out their contact information and their specific request. Okay, and how can people support the the works? I mean, of course, getting involved uh, for the, the whiteout, coming out to some of your events. But if there are listeners who have resources, perhaps they have financial resources or maybe just human resources, they want to roll up their sleeve and help you in this movement, how can they get plugged in and what kinds of things can they do to help? Well, we uh, need help in three areas. Uh, one, there is a great need for financial support, so they can go to voicetoday.org, and there's a donate button. They can donate for general expenses, or they can choose a program to donate to. Oftentimes, uh, funders want to donate perhaps to a, a youth retreat, or they want to support an educational community educational program, or they want to support uh, the national media movement. I am on a national TV tour right now on TV uh, media news shows and talk shows to get the issue out. So they can just identify uh, what they would like to support and sponsor. Number two, volunteers. Volunteers. We're in great need of volunteers. Uh, we are working now to uh, bring voice, the voice movement nationally. So there's a great need, and there is a also a place that they can sign up to volunteer, and there is a uh, orientation process that they can go through, and that's also at voicetoday.org. And then thirdly, we need prayer support. Uh, prayer is power. It is our uh, power source. So if uh, your listeners would just really pray for us that God would provide the resources that we need, both financially and physically, uh, and the manpower to really bring this issue out into the public arena um, in the voice movement that will make a huge impact on lives for generations to come. Well, you've heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. This organization is the real deal. And if you've got resources, if you have time, if you have finances that you can pour in, this is good ground. This is, this is good ground. And so I thank you, Angela, for joining us on the show. I wish you the best. Again, you're doing an incredible work for God's glory, and I know he's got so much more for you to do. But I want you to know that you have an open invitation anytime to come back and join us here on A Priceless Perspective. If you've got other events, things that you want to promote and make our listeners aware of, please feel free to come back. So thank you. Nicole, for thank you. You've been an yeah. awesome host, and thank you for your faithfulness in uh, sharing and in the broad mass media this message. I'm so grateful to you. 
Well, thank you. For the listeners who may, and she said, if you're tuning in, you're not tuning in by mistake. It's not happenstance. You didn't just stumble up on it. God knew that you would be tuning in today. So as we part, I want you to know that you no longer have to suffer in silence. What may have happened to you or what may currently be happening to you at the hands of an abuser is not your fault. You do have a voice, and there are resources. There are people who can help you find your voice and take everything that's been done and allow God to turn it around for good. So thank you. God bless. Make your voice heard. Join the conversation. Visit us online at pricelessperspective.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. This show has been brought to you in part by Diamond in the Rough Youth Development Program Incorporated and Gem Makers LLC.